Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. We have been in the Gospel of John over the last several weeks. This is now part seven. Uh, So we are in John chapter four, and I want to read to you this morning uh, a familiar uh, passage of Scripture. Uh, It is a story of Jesus uh, at Jacob's well where he meets the Samaritan woman. Uh, But hopefully we'll get some new insights of how God can uh, speak into our lives and what he has to say to us uh, through this powerful passage of Scripture. Uh, It is a little bit longer Scripture, but I want to read it in its entirety. So I'm going to read uh, verses 1 through 42. So you can follow along with me up on the screen in your Bibles. If you want to click to your Bible, that's okay too. Uh, Digital Bibles are just as much the Word of God as the printed one. Uh, And so we encourage you to follow along. But let me read uh, together John chapter 4, verses 1 through 42. Uh, It says this, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. And so he left Judea and went uh, back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Now his disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Now Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. So where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Well, Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become for them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't go thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water. Now he told her, Go, call your husband, and then come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you are now with is not your husband. Uh, What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. And our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. For you Samaritans worship what you do not know, and we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come uh, that true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in the truth. For that is the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus then declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. 
Just then, the disciples turned, uh, or returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, uh, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? And then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see, this, uh, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came to the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have uh, food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's four months until harvest? But I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another one reaps, is true. For I sent you to reap what you have not worked for, but others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Now many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. And he he told me everything I did, she said. And so when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed for two more days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you had said, but now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Let's say a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word and for this time together. We pray, God, in the next few moments that as we give our attention to your word, that you would illuminate our minds for understanding You would speak to our hearts for inspiration, and that, God, you would embolden us for the application of your word to our lives. So, God, uh, may your spirit be freely at work in us and in this place together. We love you and we thank you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Jesus was facing rumors that his ministry and the ministry of John the Baptist were in competition. So in an effort to not throw any fuel on that fire, he thought it was best to move on to another place of ministry, Samaria. Now before you start celebrating the spread of the gospel into new lands, you should know something. You should know that Jews and Samaritans were enemies. Now it is true that both were deeply religious, but they were in fact divided. Samaritans were seen as half-breeds to the Jewish people. They had intermarried with Gentiles, they had come to worship false gods, and they had now considered Mount Gerizim to be the most holy place of worship. And so the strain between the Jews and the Samaritans was in fact so intense, the Jews who were traveling from Galilee to Judea would in fact go around Samaria just to avoid that territory. Uh, They would do this even though it increased both the length and the difficulty of their journey significantly. And of course, Jesus knew about this social tension when he said that he must go through Samaria. His need for that was by far more theological than it was geographic. And so he goes into Samaria. And the truth is, I'm not even quite sure what the language, the the correct language to use is here. Uh, We could say on one hand that Jesus ignores the social boundaries I suppose we could also say that Jesus embraces the social tension uh, between Jews and Samaritans. Or, or perhaps the best way to say it is that Jesus overcomes these boundaries. 
And so, whatever the right phrasing there is, we, the truth is, is we find Jesus finds himself in conversation with an immoral Samaritan woman. Jesus, the Son of God, the long-awaited Messiah, is at Jacob's well talking to an immoral Samaritan woman. You know, reading and imagining this story uh, is a bit like doing one of the activities of, on the kids' menu at On the Border. Uh, the, you know what I'm talking about, or at least parents do. It's the activities where you have to identify how many things are wrong with this picture. And as we read and imagine this, it's almost like doing one of those kids' activities. It's really like looking at a picture of someone who is trying to do a woodworking project with a chainsaw. Or you might also say it's, it's a bit like, this, this story is a bit like watching a surgeon trying to perform surgery with a butcher knife instead of a scalpel. But here they are, Jesus and the Samaritan woman conversing at the well. Jesus begins the conversation by asking the woman for a drink. It's interesting that Jesus believes that this person who is totally unlike him has something to offer him. Well, very soon the conversation, in the conversation, it, it churns, and uh, very quickly Jesus is now offering her what he calls living water. And in my opinion, this is actually the central motif for the passage. The phrase living water is what we would simply call running water. <laughs> uh, it's water that is moving. It's, it's not stagnant. Uh, one of our ancient uh, brothers and sisters would have watched us go to our kitchen faucet and turn it on. And they no doubt would have proclaimed, living water. <laughs> but what Jesus does is Jesus uses this phrase, running water, or living water. But he uses it to talk about the life that is literally boiling over inside of us through the Spirit of God. It's Jesus' way of offering to the woman life inside the kingdom of God. It's life given over to the Spirit of God, walking in the Jesus way. That the only proper way to explain that is to, to say that when we become Christians and when we receive the Spirit of God, there is in fact a, a, a water that is living inside of us. There is a, a, a boiling over inside of us. And so Jesus is teaching the Samaritan woman that new life of which running water is a picture is in fact available to even her. And I want you to hear that this morning. Jesus is teaching this Samaritan woman that new life, of which living water is a sign, is available even to her. And in fact, what he's going to teach her and what he does teach her is that it's this living water is the, is the only thing that truly satisfies. That the living water inside of us is the only thing that truly satisfies. And so in these moments at the well, Jesus 
doesn't just teach about living water, but rather he embodies living water. That is to say that Jesus is the living water. And he breaks every single social boundary in order to meet the Samaritan woman right where she is at. Oh, it is so hot. But coming to this well at noon when all the other women have left is far better than listening to them whisper all of their shame in my direction. The truth is, I just need a break from their judgmental eyes looking at me all the time. You know, in fact, I've come to enjoy this space, this trip to the well by myself. I've come to enjoy it because I need, I need some space just to clear my head and think about my life. Because I, I really need to figure my life out, you know? I mean, why can't I find authentic love and relationship? I long for it so deeply. I thought I had found it when I was young. But then he ended up cheating on me and our relationship fell apart. And now five men later, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I'm so jealous of those perfect families and those perfect women and their, their relationships. And, and oh, how I long for that kind of life. You know, I have never felt more alone than I do now. I used to have friends. But they have cast me out. To them, I used to be Aisha. But now I'm just a label a category. Now, to, to them, those people who used to call me friend, those people who I used to call family, now to them, I'm just sinful or harlot. I suppose you could say, I guess I know now what it's like to be gay or Muslim or homeless. All the people that tend to just be reduced to categories. You know, but who cares? I, I can live without my so-called friends, for I, I'm not a harlot. I am Aisha, the, oh, I don't even know what I am anymore. Who is that? A Jewish man? What is he doing here? Surely, surely he will just ignore me, and I can go on with the rest of my business here. Wait, did he just say something? He, I think he is. He's talking to me. Sir, uh, you know that you're not supposed to be talking to me, right? Um, I'm a Samaritan, and you're a Jew. We don't talk to each other. Living water. Out of this well? I'm tempted to put this guy into a category. Well, if your living water can make it so that I will never thirst again, then I suppose you could say, I'm interested. Yeah, count, count me in. Wait, 
what does my husband have to do with any of this? Besides, I don't even have a husband. How does he know about my previous husbands? Okay, this guy must be some kind of prophet or something, but let's see how much he really knows. Uh, You know, sir, our our ancestors used to worship on uh, Mount Gerizim, but you Jews say that worship must take place in Jerusalem. So, So which is it? Well, whatever you say, one day Messiah will come, and he'll make everything clear to us. Wait. That makes sense. He is the Messiah. Everything is clear now. I have to go and tell my friends. Look at Aisha going to gather water all by herself. You know what? I don't even feel bad for her. I mean, I hear now that she is with her sixth man, except she won't marry him this time. Or, or maybe he won't marry her. Who knows which it is? Truth is, she'll never change. So let me get this straight. He offered you living water, but he wasn't just talking about water. And then he knew that you had had five husbands before. And then he told you that worship isn't really about the location or the style, uh, but, but more about the heart. And then finally he said that he is the Messiah. What do you think? You think she's telling the truth? I mean, something is different about her after all. It, it seems like she actually has Changed. In fact, it's almost as if she finally found what she's been looking for. I believe her. So let's go and meet this Messiah. You know, everyone in this story is facing a boundary. Jesus is facing the social boundary between Jews and Samaritans. The woman is facing the social boundary of being labeled and cast out by her friends and family. And then the townspeople, the people of Samaria, are also facing a boundary. For they have cut off the Samaritan woman from their community and their relationship. But what we find in this story is that in every single case, an experience of the living water crushes those boundaries. You see, Jesus overcomes social boundaries in order to minister to the Samaritan woman and meet her right where she was at because that's what living water does. And the truth is, is I don't know where each of you are at spiritually. I don't know where all of you are at in your life. 
and you may be here and you're just exploring Christianity, you're not sure about this Jesus thing, but I can tell you that one mistake that we make is that we believe that we have to get everything together. Everything in our life has to come together. We have to get it just right. We have to fix everything. Maybe we have to think all the right ways in order to come to church, in order to approach the throne of Jesus Christ, in order to come to Jesus. A lot of times we have to think we have to get all of our ducks in a row and we have to get everything together before we are worthy enough to come into a meeting with Jesus. But here's what I want to tell you this morning is that Jesus is ready to meet us wherever we are at because that's what living water does. What living water does is he's okay with your doubts. He's okay with your questions. He's okay with your hurts from the past. He's okay with your disappointments from life in church and all of those kinds of things. Like good, the the good news today is that Jesus Christ, the living water, is ready and prepared to meet us precisely where we're at. Baggage and all, doubts and all, disbelief and all and all, disappointments, and all. You see, the Samaritan woman didn't go to the well that day expecting a life-changing experience. She went to the well that day in order to avoid the shame and the guilt and the judgment of what used to be her friends and her family. She had literally been cast out and was totally alone. She goes there in order to avoid all of that. And what she finds is that right there in the middle of her mess, Jesus is prepared to meet her. And offer her something brand new. I want you to know today that wherever you are at, Jesus is prepared to meet you right there. And so Jesus overcomes a social boundary in order to minister to the Samaritan woman and meet her right where she's at because that's what living water does. But the woman experiences the living water of Christ and overcomes her shame and her guilt and then goes and shares the good news with those who had cast her out. I want you to put yourself in the position of a Samaritan woman. Uh, We know that in this culture, anyone who had been caught in sin, had been labeled a harlot, was was not uh, just gossiped about but was literally cast out from the community, literally disowned. And so if you put yourself in her shoes, we we recognize that she's dealing with all kinds of shame. And she's dealing with all kinds of guilt. And the reason that we know that she's been uh, cast out from her community, there's a couple of clues in the text. The first one is we see her lifestyle, that she's now on her sixth husband. That's reason enough for us to understand that she has likely been cast out from her community. But in the Gospel of John, there is no detail that is frivolous. Every detail is pointing us to some reality and some truth. And so right at the beginning of the passage, John, the writer, wants to tell us that this encounter between Jesus and the Samaritan woman takes place at noon. And we know that this is not the time to go to the well. Uh, You would always go to gather water from the well, either in the cool of the morning or the cool of the evening. But you would never go in the heat of midday. And so we recognize that this woman is dealing with all kinds of shame and all kinds of guilt. 
And the truth is, is that probably there are some people in this room that also bear the burden of carrying around shame and guilt. And we carry it around for any number of things in our lives. Maybe we carry around shame and guilt for something that we did. It was a mistake. It was sin. We've owned that. But we still carry around the shame and the guilt of of that one mistake or those mistakes in the past. Whatever it is, we, we carry those things around with us. We bear the weight of our own guilt and shame. Or maybe, maybe you might carry around just some guilt and shame that because you carry around this sense in your life that you simply aren't good enough. That you'll never make the cut. That if somehow the world or the universe was picking teams, you'd be chosen last. And you just bear that, that, the weight of that. See, our shame and guilt can come from any number of sources, but here's what I want to share with you, the good news that is embodied in this story is that an experience with the living water of Christ has the ability to set us free from the shame and guilt that carries us. Because while we may carry around the message, uh, I'm not good enough, or I have messed up beyond repair, or I have done something so horrible that, uh, that I am not worth anything, Jesus Christ on the cross gives us the very clear message that I love you. There is nothing so treacherous that you have done that disqualifies you from my love and my grace. And there certainly is no mindset of not being good enough that would disqualify you from my work on the cross. So Jesus Christ is saying to us, whatever shame and guilt you may carry around and that you may bear, I want to set you free from that today. And so as we put ourselves in the shoes of this woman cast out from her community, motivated to avoid friends and family, then we recognize the power that after an experience with the living water, she is not only freed from her shame, but she is then motivated to go and tell this good news of freedom in Christ to the very people who had cast her out. She goes back to the community that had disowned her and said, I believe I've had an encounter with the Messiah, and I want you to experience it too. I want you to to experience him too. And so you can be free from guilt today. The townspeople experience the living water before they even know about Jesus. You want to know how I know? Because they were able to listen and to learn from someone not like themselves. Even someone that they had called a sinner. Someone who didn't fit in their camp. Someone who had broke the rules. Someone who didn't fit so nicely in their box. And yet they were able to hear, to receive, to listen and to learn from someone that was totally outside of what they would consider 
in the camp. And that, my friends, is evidence of the living water at work in them. So the living water was at work in them before they ever even came into contact with Jesus. And I think, I wanna, I think how quick we are to put people into categories. And then we assume that if they are in this category or that category, then all of a sudden they have nothing to offer to us. And isn't that the truth? Isn't it so easy to live with that kind of lifestyle? Even to fall into that kind of mindset? Oh, this person, they did this, they are that, they're defined by this or however we choose to define them. So we firmly place them in that category. And if you are in that category, you have nothing to offer to me. You have nothing to say to me. You have literally been cast out, held at arm's length. And I want to say to us today that when we experience the living water, when we experience the truth embodied, who is Jesus Christ, I think we will come to realize that people, number one, aren't categories, they're people. And that God owns the truth, no matter the source. Which ultimately means then that people who are different than you or I, different than us, have something to offer. And we should learn to listen to those who aren't like us. And we should learn to listen to those who see the world differently than us. And again, Jesus embodies this very thing. Because here he is in Samaria, which he shouldn't have been there anyway. He's at a well And here comes a Samaritan woman. And you know Jesus already knows all about this woman. And the very first thing that he asks is, can I have a drink? This Samaritan woman has something to offer even the Son of God himself. And then, of course, in the brilliance of Jesus, he uses it as an opportunity to teach a spiritual truth. But I want us to realize today and maybe just come to an awareness of how quickly and how easily we can put people into categories and depending on what category they fall into, we assume that they have nothing to say or to offer to us. And I believe that as the people of God, if nothing else, we ought to be good listeners. And in fact, if the people of God, based on the message and teachings of Jesus, are to give voice to the oppressed, to to give voice to those who have no voice, our first task is to listen. And so whether you're here today and you just need Jesus to meet you where you're at, or you might be here today and you bear shame and guilt that Jesus wants to set you free from. Or maybe we're just here today and, and the, the Holy Spirit of God just wants to say to us, we need to learn to listen. All of these things are embodied in this powerful passage from John chapter 4. And here's what I want you to understand today. The gospel transcends division, labels, and categories. 
and moves all who will believe to new life. In fact, this is the very scandal of grace. And grace is scandalous if we really understand it. This is the scandal of grace that someone less deserving, less deserving than me, can receive God's gift of living water and be changed. That's the scandal of grace. Someone, quote, less deserving than me can receive God's gift of living water and be changed. I wonder if there is ever a point in our lives where we reflect the townspeople. Whenever you read a biblical narrative, we automatically sort of place ourselves in the story. And our natural tendency is to always place ourselves as Jesus. (laughs) So we will typically put ourselves in the place of Jesus, offering ministry and goodness and kindness and grace. And we would certainly never put ourselves in the place of the Samaritan woman, right? Oh, no, she's much worse than I am. But I want to offer to you maybe a third alternative of where we could find ourselves in this story. Could it be that we are so often the townspeople who look at folks who we've placed inside of a category and we say to ourselves, they'll never change. They are beyond the reach of God's grace. And what this story shows us, among all the other kinds of things, is of course... That God's grace is limitless. There is no scarcity of God's transforming grace. There is no scarcity of God's transforming grace. And so I want us to hear and to understand today that the gospel transcends division, labels, and categories and moves all who will believe to new life. Amen? And so I invite you today to experience the living water and to embrace God's scandalous grace. And whether that grace is for yourself or for others, may we today embrace God's scandalous grace and erase the boundaries that so easily divide us. And in fact, may we all find what we've been looking for, but may we find it in Christ.